Big win for President Trump. Even when he's indicted, he keeps winning. The Supreme Court has declined a request by prosecute, by vicious prosecutor Trap Jack Smith, the Trump hater, to expedite a decision on whether Trump is even allowed to be charged. This is a crushing blow to Smith because it means the trial will not take place, certainly not until after the primaries, and that's very disappointing to Jack Smith. We'll explain what all this means coming up. A new poll shows millions of people, millions of voters cast their votes illegally in the 2020 election. This is a stunning poll. It's a bombshell. And remember, Biden won by about 80,000 votes total when you factor in all the different swing cities. So that means millions of people cast their vote illegally, all due to mail-in ballots. We'll explain Nikki Haley continues to gain on Trump in New Hampshire. Nikki Haley, she's actually surging in the polls while DeSantis keeps dropping. And look, the primary is over before it even began, as I've explained many times. The media is frantic. I need to explain something. The media is frantically trying to make you believe that there's a race here, that it's not over before it began, that there actually is. The only race is a race for second place, okay? Nobody's going to catch Trump in the media. They're grasping at straws they need. Again, why do they need this? Because they need the clicks. They need the ratings. I've been saying this literally for three years. I predicted that Trump would run. He ran. I predicted that he would dominate, and he has been doing just that. And again, it's not because it's if you, you know, pay attention and you've seen a lot of these things kind of play out, and I get things wrong all the time, but, you know, this is bad for the media because they the, the ratings come when elections are close, not when they're a blowout. So don't fall for this narrative that somehow Nikki Haley has a shot. She has no shot, and that's not a knock on Nikki Haley, but uh, it's just the reality. Now, we've got a lot of election news coming up, but instead of the primaries, I think I'm going to call Call it the runner-up race, okay? We've got a lot, of, a lot of news on the runner-up race coming up. So, but let's get to this decision, this egregious decision by the Supreme Court of Colorado to remove Trump from the ballot. This is such a disgrace. I mean, every one of these judges who voted for this, who ruled on this, should have their licenses revoked. They should never be allowed to practice law or to be a practicing judge again to be able to say that Trump, he's never been convicted of insurrection. He's never been charged with insurrection and with good reason because he's not guilty of insurrection. But this was the plan from the beginning with January 6th. I believe that Pelosi and the Democrats and Schumer orchestrated January 6th. But either way, whether you believe that or not, the minute it was over, they started calling it an insurrection. Why? Because of this obscure law that has basically never been used, certainly never been used to disqualify somebody running for president. This was the plan. Call it an insurrection and disqualify Trump. And and, and number two, they want to suppress democracy. They claim that Trump is the one who's anti-democracy. They are anti-democracy. Democracy is when you vote for president, not when you disqualify people and say you can only have the candidate you want on the ballot to begin with. And number three, what do we keep saying? They are terrified of Trump. All those Republicans, conservatives who say the Democrats want Trump, they want Trump on the ballot because they know they can beat Trump. This is not uh, they didn't disqualify him from the general. They disqualified him from the primary. They are afraid of Trump being the candidate because they believe that Trump has a real shot at beating, whether it's Biden or Gavin Newsom or whoever the Democrat candidate is. But they are hurting democracy. It's so insane that they accuse Trump of being the one who somehow is suppressing democracy. And here they are disqualifying him from the ballot. And what's happening now? This is now turning into an explosive situation because now you have a bunch of Republican legislatures. We're trying to disqualify Biden, Joe Biden, from the ballots. And for good reason, by the way, Joe, you, you can make a strong argument that, that, that Joe Biden has totally betrayed the country and is guilty of treason. So Trump, uh, insurrectionist, OK, here's the thing. He's not other than all the other myriad reasons why Trump is not an insurrectionist. 
He's never been convicted. He's never been charged. Jack Smith, Jack Smith, that bloodthirsty prosecutor, right, who indicted Trump over January 6th, did not charge Trump with insurrection. What stronger evidence could you need than than that? Now, obviously, Jack Smith doesn't believe that Trump could ever be convicted of insurrection. And, And it's incredible. They lecture us. We're destroying the fabric of democracy. Here they have these fake indictments. They're literally knocking political opponents off the ballot. I mean, they are as anti-democracy as you could possibly imagine. And look at this. They have Trump busy in the courts all day long. It's 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 insane. It's torture. I don't know how any somebody said to me, how does Trump wake up in the morning? If this or any of us where we had three or four different trials, even if you think, number one, it's a wild card, right? You say, well, the justice system can't be that fragile that they could convict Trump. Who knows? It depends on who the jurors are. Some of these places, these courts are in districts that are very anti-Trump. Trump have a lot of minorities, a lot of Democrat voters who are going to end up on the jury. So you don't even it's a roll of the dice, even best case scenario. The man, he's calm, he's collected, he's confident. Like, how does he do it? How does he manage? Most of us, I think, would be like cowering in fear. But that's the plan. And look what they've done to Giuliani. They've bankrupted Giuliani, $148 million ruling against him, defamation. They have crushed Giuliani. He's bankrupt. He's 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 totally, totally impoverished. What is the message? Well, Giuliani has been a staunch. I mean, he, the man was at the top of the world. The man was a phenomenally successful mayor of New York City. He was a U.S. prosecutor, took down the mafia. This is a man who has accomplished so much in his life. And they've disgraced Giuliani. Why? Because he argued that the election was rigged and they are making him pay and suffer. What they are saying is anybody who supports Trump in 2024, we're going to make you suffer. We're going to make you pay. At the, at the at best case scenario, we're going to cost you millions of dollars in legal fees and like I said, they want to knock Joe Biden off the ballot for treason because he's, among other reasons, he's allowed 7 million illegals to cross the border, which is 100% true. And you know what I would say to the Republicans? Instead of disqualifying, you know, they're trying to do this tit for tat and like punish the Democrats. Do me a favor, impeach Biden. If you think you can knock him off the ballot, then impeach him. And I understand one is a statewide. Let me literally have Republicans in Congress saying we should disqualify Joe Biden from and, and just impeach him. And I know you're going through the process, and the impeachment inquiry and all of that. And you know what's amazing is Republicans never do this stuff to Democrats. Now they're talking about it as revenge. But like they they, they knock Trump off the ballot, but they never would would knock a Democrat off the ballot. So, again, you'll say, well, we don't stoop to that level. We take the high road. I mean, I don't know. I'm finding it very hard to believe at this point. And it's like we only we stoop to the level after they do it. Right. But we wouldn't be willing to do it first. You know, somebody said to me the impeachment inquiry. Somebody said that with Trump on January 6th, where they did like a two week impeachment and now with Biden, it's taking literally taking it's taking a year just to open an inquiry. And it's going to take another eight or nine months, I'm sure. And like I said, they are not going to impeach Biden. That's my prediction. But why is it taking so long? Somebody said, well, they have to gather evidence and the bank statements and the bank accounts and follow the money trail and all that. They've had years. They've had so many years to do this. They could have started doing this when nothing was stopping them when McCarthy was in office, but, you know, was in control back in back when Trump was president. They knew Biden was was running. Like, why would you start gathering evidence? I, I just don't believe it. OK, I, I understand that January 6th, you know, they, they, they didn't have. Well, that's not true because there were thousands of hours of tapes, but they didn't even bother. They didn't even bother to review any of the tapes or any of that. And you'll say, well, it was ba- just based on Trump's tweets and Trump's statements. I'm sorry. And they can impeach Biden. It's inexcusable. All right. Ron DeSantis said the decision. Like, get this. This is funny. Ron DeSantis said the decision in Colorado is a stunt to solidify Trump's support in the primary. So DeSantis actually is flipping this. To me, the reason they did this is because they want to knock Trump off the ballot. They're scared of him. You know, I just take it plain and simple. 
as, you know, what it seems. But DeSantis says, and look, he may have a point. I'm not saying that he's wrong. He says that it's a stunt because they want to solidify Trump. So what he actually says, they're trying to do this because they want Trump to win the primary. They knock him off the primary ballot. I don't know. It, 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 it sounds bizarre to me. And by the way, they don't need to solidify Trump. Trump has done enough to solidify his support. They don't need to help Trump win the primary. Has DeSantis opened up a poll at all recently? Trump's going to win. So I just it's very, very hard to believe. All right, like I said, a lot of election coverage to get to. You asked. We listened. Um, and uh, like I said, my election analysis is that the GOP primary, the Republican primary is over. I, I actually think the only question in this primary is who's the Democrat candidate going to be? Because I don't believe that, you know, the Republican primary is over. But I'm not convinced, as I've said a million times, that Biden is going to be. But he might be. He might be the candidate. Obviously, you know, that's the most, I guess, likely scenario at this point. What, do you know how unpopular Biden is? Even Kamala, Pop, Biden, Joe Biden is so unpopular in the polls. Even Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris, let's say it the non-racist way. I mean, uh, by the way, was Kamala invited? You know, it's amazing. Kamala might have been invited to that uh, mayor of Boston's party, but not Joe Biden. <laughs> but, and not, not Kamala's husband. But Kamala, it, it, Joe Biden is so unpopular that Kamala, Kamala Harris is beating him in the polls. Even Kamala, Kamala. Uh, who's next? El Chapo? I, I think the new COVID variant is actually beating Biden in the polls. A new poll conducted by Monmouth, Monmouth University shows Biden's approval rating at 34%. Kamala, now, don't get too excited here for your fans of Kamala Harris. She's at 35%. So she's beating Biden by a point. And the two main issues that are sinking Biden's voter approval, get ready to be shocked here, inflation and immigration. And uh, also people are I'm really, really, what a shocker that the, the, the Biden administration has not been able to convince. They keep telling voters how the economy is heading in the right direction. They keep saying how Bidenomics is working. Look at the record, you know, the market. I never I never really tout the markets. I never tout the S&P and the Dow Jones as being indicators for the average everyday plight of the economy. Okay, people care about how much it costs to buy a loaf of bread, how much it costs to fill up the tank of gas. People care about basic, basic expenses, which are through the well, but inflation is down. Isn't inflation down? Inflation's not down when inflation is at 3% for this month. Okay, and when inflation compared to a year ago at this time is down, all that means is the prices are going up more slowly. They were already they were through the roof. The prices have been through the roof since Biden was in office for about four or six months. Okay, so inflation is not down. It's not like price. It's not like the price of eggs or bread is down. It may be slightly down from when it spiked. Like the price of eggs at one point was like seven dollars a dozen. There was like a huge shortage. But the price of groceries, of to fill up your gas, you know, of average different, you know, price of car insurance for many of us is through the roof myself included. Those things are not down. Those things are up. They're just, they, they, they haven't gone up compared to six months ago as quickly as they went up six months ago from the six months prior to that, if that makes sense. So uh, there's a reason that people, uh, you know, the, the 35% of people or 20% of people who think, let's see, 69% of voters think the country's headed in the wrong direction. 20% believe that the country is headed in the right direction. Those 20% enjoy suffering or those 20% are working for, you know, making government salaries or getting social security checks, which are tied into the, t- to, to the price the cost of inflation. But uh, it's unbelievable how, you know, 20 percent of people think the country's headed in the right direction. Which part exactly? Which thing is headed? Because they they clearly enjoy the suffering. All right. So here's what Jack Smith was doing. Prosecutor Jack Smith, he's charging Trump with uh, with interfering with congressional um, pro- with a congressional proceeding on January 6th. OK, he's charging Trump with 
January 6th charges, bogus charges related to January 6th. And they're saying that Trump was trying to interfere with a an official congressional proceeding or some made up uh, crime violation of that sort. So what he was doing was Trump is defending himself. Trump's defense. Trump has very good defense lawyers, as you'd expect. And they said that, you know, they're trying to delay and stall the trial as much as possible. And it looks like all of these criminal trials against Trump, it looks like, are not going to take place before the primary and maybe not even before the general election, which is a huge disappointment because it's all about politics, as we know, whether they convict Trump or not. That's not what this is about, as we, as you know, as obviously. So what happened was Trump's defense said you can't charge Trump with a crime for trying to prevent, basically, on January 6th, as we know, Trump was trying to urge uh, Congress and Mike Pence, Vice President Mike Pence, to not certify the election results, not certify Biden as the winner, which they ultimately ended up doing. And there's a whole congressional debate on whether it's a formality or whether Congress and, 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 and VP Pence was even allowed legally had the right to say, listen, we don't accept these electors and we decertify the electors and, and, and we don't um, declare Biden the victor. That was gonna, that was the debate. Obviously, it played out. We know a few congressmen voted against Biden, but virtually all of them voted in favor and Biden was certified as the winner of the election. We know what, what happened. But that's what they're trying to say that Trump tried to interfere. So Trump says... You cannot do that because I was acting in my capacity, not as a candidate, but I was the, acting as the president. I was the president saying legally you cannot count these votes. Now, you can agree or disagree whether the election was rigged or not rigged. Trump felt the election was rigged. He believes that to this day there's ample evidence to support that. He thinks that, the, you know, the, 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 that the results actually made him the winner. The results that said that Biden was the winner was were, were fraudulent and, 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 and the ballots were fake. And the electors, you know, there was a lot of fraud and cheating, right? So, so Trump's defense is, I'm the, pre- I'm the president. January 6, 2020, I was the president. So I was acting in my capacity as the president. Therefore, I'm immune. You cannot charge me with a crime for doing my duty, whether you think I'm right or wrong. But I believe that that was the legally correct thing to do. I think that's a very, very strong, an extremely strong argument. And what one court already ruled against that, no shock there. This is, I guess, in the DC circuit. So probably a pretty leftist circuit, anti-Trump circuit. But it's a very strong argument because imagine if you start prosecuting politicians who are, who are acting in their capacity. Like imagine if Trump uh, orders the National Guard to deal with a protest or a riot or, you know, imagine if Trump uh, c- carries out strikes against, uh, you know, uh, enemy countries and that kind of thing. Right. And uh, let's say somebody dies. Right. So let's say they sue Trump and say, well, I'm suing the president because wrongful death or homicide. What do you mean? He's the president. He's allowed to call in troops and National Guard. He's allowed to carry out military duties. Well, you'll say, but, you know, he can't. So let's say that happens in America, right? Let's say there's something going on in America and uh, the president feels that it's illegal and he has to put a stop to it and, and somebody gets hurt or there's an interference. Yeah, anything. I, th- this is one of many analogies. But Trump is saying, listen, I'm the president and I see them about to certify Biden and I believe that that's not legal. You cannot charge me with a crime for that because I'm acting as president. That Look, we'll see. And this may eventually end up in the Supreme Court. But none of that matters right now. What matters right now is that it's taking months. The the as we, the appeals process is painstakingly slow. So brilliant move by Trump's defense uh, lawyers because now it's going to go to appeal and then go to a second appeal and then a third appeal. So we're talking months and months. So the 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 the, the fact that the appeals process is so painstakingly slow, which drives a lot of us nuts is actually going to work to Trump's benefit. So what Jack Smith did, Jack Smith said, all right, we're going to fast track this thing. I'm going to ask the Supreme Court. Now, we know the Supreme Court is pretty conservative. I'm going to ask the Supreme Court to rule on this now. Basically, the Supreme Court can leapfrog, can say, all right, we're not going to wait for the law. It rarely happens. And this was such a long shot by Jack Smith. But 
Essentially, he said, listen, we're not going to wait for the appeal. The, now, the first appeals court is going to rule on, is going to hear arguments about this January 9th. So they're already fast tracking it, by the way, because they want this thing. They're D.C. Circuit. They want this thing to, to hurry. They like Jack Smith. They don't like Trump. But Jack Smith said, not fast enough for me, because then it's going to get appealed to the next level. Next level, Jack Smith said, I'm just going to ask the Supreme Court to just expedite this and just hear arguments right now. And that's going to basically um, blow up the whole process. That's going to that, that's going to trump, so to speak, the, uh, the the lower courts. If the Supreme Court rules, the Supreme Court rules, then it just bypasses the lower appeals courts. And the Supreme Court said no. And they came back one pager. No, it was unanimous decision, no dissent. And they said, we're not going to hear this thing. This is going to go through. This is going to play out in the normal way these appeals play out. So let me just explain how that plays out. If the, the it's in the D.C. Circuit, they're going to hear arguments January 9th. I imagine they're going to rule pretty quickly. At that point, the president, that's a, that's a three-judge panel of the D.C. Circuit. Then the president can ask, if he loses that, he can ask the full appeals court to hear. That's just a panel. He can ask the full D.C. Circuit appeals court to, hear, to, to, to rehear his arguments. Then they'll decide. Even if that happens relatively quickly, Trump still has 90 days to lodge an appeal to the Supreme Court. So let's even say that all this stuff gets decided by the end of January, early February. Then Trump can wait 90 days after they're going to wait. So after 85 days, they, they file it in the Supreme Court. That's going to be what? April or May. Primary is already going at that point. You have to think that Trump will have it in the bag. And then the Supreme Court, they, they schedule it, right? Well, if they may agree to take the case, they may not. If they agree to take the case, I suspect they will. It's a big case. Uh, if it's ruled against Trump, then they're going to schedule it, hear arguments, render a decision. You're talking about months and months and months, and almost definitely I think this trial is not going to happen before November. Uh, you know, I heard a CNN anchor say that Israel, we got a lot more election news, as I said, or what were we calling it here, the race for second place, the se- second place race or the runner-up race. CNN anchor says that I couldn't believe this. This is, you know, I've been listening to CNN and MSNBC because I think we need to hear, especially when it comes to Israel and the Middle East. And they've been like more fair than I've been expecting them to be. And especially when it comes to like hostages and those stories. But they're so cruel and vicious against Israel. Some of these some of these news anchors and news reporters. So a CNN anchor said Israel's making a big mistake. They're creating a new generation. This is such a it's it's just. It's despicable. It's despicable. Israel's making a big mistake because they're creating a new generation of terrorists with young people in Gaza because because Israel is bombing indiscriminately, as they like to say, and because Israel is killing. And by the way, the numbers that are coming out of Gaza, they are meaningless. And and, and Biden himself said it. It's incredible because Biden, in a moment of candor, because, again, when Biden, he's off the cuff, he tells the truth. This is a few months ago. A reporter asked him about numbers coming out of Gaza at the time when Israel, when they first started I guess the the ground invasion or the airstrikes and Biden said, oh, well, the Gaza health ministry, these numbers are coming straight out of Hamas. So they they have no credibility. Biden, he admitted it. The Gaza health ministry is is a sham. It's it's Hamas. What do we have last week? This hospital director admitted there's a video of a of a guy. I'm sure you heard about this of a Gaza hospital director admitting that he was an operative for Hamas. They were running. The hospital was a headquarters for Hamas. You literally have it. It's on tape. The, the whole world to see. Gaza runs the hospitals. Gaza runs the health ministry. They control the doctors. Everything. Hamas, I should say. It's all Hamas, Hamas, Hamas. The entire place. Everything civilian there is not civilian. Hospitals, the humanitarian, the the, the, U, the UN agencies in, in Gaza. It's all Hamas, 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 period, right? So, Meanwhile, so so when they release numbers about how many Gazans civilians have been killed, 
It's made up. They just make it up. They just do whatever they think the news will believe. They can't go too high because they have to make it credible. And they'll go as high as they possibly can. Totally made up. And, and, and by the way, there's tons of people working for Hamas in Gaza who they claim are innocent civilians. And they're really terrorists in some way. They're working. It doesn't mean that they're actually the ones, you know, uh, carrying out the attacks. But they are working for a terrorist organization. So they're also terrorists. They're not innocent civilians. I, I imagine there are very few innocent civilians in Gaza. But either way, they're saying, well, the Israelis are murdering all these people. So you have all these young people in Gaza, their family members, innocent family members being murdered by Israel, by the IDF. So that, so, the, so the, you're creating a new generation of terrorists. Can you believe it? They're accusing Israel of creating the terrorists. They said, these are the words, they said, this is radicalizing them. You know what's radicalizing young people in Gaza is we're radicalizing Palestinians because they see that their family members have been murdered by IDF soldiers, by, 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 by the IDF, and they're innocent. And they're just murdered because the IDF is careless. And their strikes are not targeted enough, and they're not careful to not harm. So, is you believe this? Israel is the one. It's Israel's fault. Israel's the one creating the terrorists. Israel's the one radicalizing. I mean, are you kidding me? Do you think that they need any help becoming radicalized? Do you think Israel is creating the next generation? It's unbelievable. I'm listening. I'm literally listening to this on CNN, and I'm sure that there's a lot of Americans out there, a lot of people out there who are thinking, oh, wow, CNN's right. Israel, they're the ones causing. I mean, this is literally Hamas propaganda dripping out of the mouth of a CNN news anchor. And then they say, this is what literally what, what a CNN analyst said. He said, this is what Joe Biden meant when Joe Biden said the United States made mistakes after 9-11 when he was talking to Bibi Netanyahu. This is what Biden meant. Biden meant the mistakes were that the United States radicalized all these, uh, you know, all these Afghanis, you know, so like literally this is, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's really disgraceful accusing Israel and accusing the United States of, of being the ones to create terrorists. It's sickening. It is absolutely despicable and sickening. And see, they have a very big problem that number one, they're very anti-Israel, but also Israel is doing, Israel right now is doing exactly what the United States did after, you know, when we talk about World War II in Japan, but also after September 11th. In Afghanistan, the only difference is Israel does it much better. So, you know, the United States took 20 years in Afghanistan. The Israelis are very efficient. But that's their problem is CNN and all these media people. Okay, Uh, they have no way to justify the fact that they are condemning Israel and they're, you know, ranting about Israel and, 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 and viciously attacking Israel. But, oh, wait a second, the United States did this and had bipartisan support. And even the Democrats were in favor of it. Okay, so what are they doing? They're revising history. That's their only option. Oh, well, we never should have done it. We should have just left Afghanistan alone. Let bin Laden basically just take down other buildings and carry out other attacks. Unbelievable. Um, and, and, and by the way, I, we have to also point out, talking about the Middle East here, that in a sense, we're on the brink of World War III. I don't want to be overly alarmist. I don't want anybody to panic. But I also we have to recognize the fact that they're shutting down. When they shut down international trade, when you have these drone attacks against these ships, these merchant marine vessels, there was one now in the in the Arabian Sea. There have been, of course, a bunch over the Red Sea. And you have the, you know, the the the, the United States military and the British military now are shooting down these Houthi rebel drones. And you have Hezbollah, who's already carrying out attacks and trying to get more involved. And, 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 and Iran is threatening. And Iran, of course, proxies have carried out all these attacks against U.S. I mean, there is mayhem, mayhem. And one reason, the reason is because of Biden. Biden's in charge or lack thereof. And they are taking advantage. They know the clock is ticking. They have the weakest United States administration ever. You have President President Xi of China egging them on, giving tons of money to Iran. 
and the and Iran then funneling that to all these terror terror groups. Putin, Putin is is making a fortune off of the war in Ukraine. He doesn't care that you know they're busy battling in Ukraine. That's not hurting him one bit. And uh, and in fact, it's making him a lot of money on oil and natural gas, which he's the sole supplier of Europe. I mean, Putin is laughing all the way to the bank. He's the, he's the Elon Musk of natural gas and oil. It's insane. So you have Putin as strong as can be. You have President Xi. They keep telling us, don't believe this media propaganda. Oh, we're hurting Putin. Putin's struggling. Putin's having a tough time. He can't even beat Ukraine. He doesn't care. He does not care. He cares about money and oil. And he cares about the fact that he is supporting Iran right now as Iran sponsoring Iran's terror, terrorism. And President Xi, this alliance is terrifying, terrifying. And then they're laughing. Biden, Europe, the U.N. It's a joke. It's literally a joke. So and they're pushing us to the brink. They're doing it slowly. They're doing it very strategically. They're not doing any kind of overt uh, act of war because they don't want to bring out the full. They don't want to do something that would force Biden to have to retaliate. I mean, you know, it's kind of like when a child tests the parent, right? A child will test his parents for, you know, for boundaries, right? A two-year-old, a three-year-old, they'll climb on the table. Will the parents stop me? They'll stick things in their mouth or they'll try to go outside, whatever. They'll do dangerous things. And it's just a natural thing. It's a healthy thing. You know, the parents have to know how to respond. You have to know to show the kid love while still showing the kid boundaries and whatever. We're not giving a parenting course right now. But uh, but that's what they're doing is Yemen, the Houthis, Hezbollah, Iran, they're testing. They're testing the boundaries. They keep pushing further and further. And then you get used to things. And it's like, well, OK, maybe that's no big deal. And what's incredible is that uh, unlike that Biden is so pitifully weak, as we've said many times. So they keep testing Biden and Biden keeps saying, listen, we're not going to retaliate. We don't want this to escalate. Right. We want it to de-escalate and defuse. Biden's weakness is leading to instability it is leading to us to the brink of war when trump this is the irony and it's not ironic it's it's so basic but when trump threatened rocket man and when trump threatened putin and when trump did the airstrike against syria right and trump murdered terrorists like soleimani and al-baghdadi right trump did all these things these displays of incredible strength incredible strength and you know he and and threatening he said we're going to hurt you we're going to we are going to attack you and the media they got all frantic. The media, you know, you know what it's like? It's like when sometimes you'll see somebody very strong, right? And people sometimes cower. Oh, this guy, he's too strong a little bit. People like get nervous. That is the sign of stability, strength and fearlessness. That's what keeps people in order. That's what keeps people behaving. Okay. So you have the ultimate, uh, the master of peace and stability was Trump. And they called him a warmonger. And now Biden, who was supposed to be the peacemaker and the unifier, He's not promoting peace. He's rolling over. Rolling over does not foster friendship. It, you know, it, it like it, it could lead to World War Three. And by the way, there is a big story in the New York Times, and I have to mention this: that the Israelis were aware that of a lot of money that was controlled by Hamas flowing into Gaza, but did nothing about it, nothing to stop it. You know, for years. And again, I, I have not verified this, but uh, you know, they do have sources, so I think it is worth mentioning. We keep trying to. Look at the background over here and try to analyze exactly how this happened. How did Hamas become such a such a huge, you know, we, we kind of like fell for this fake narrative that Hamas was fizzling right now. Trump did a lot you know, under uh, under Trump, you know, Hamas and all the Palestinians were basically defunded. So they had a lot less money, a lot less power. But, you know, remember with Gaza with the balloons, Hamas, they were th- like they, they were uh, floating those explosive balloons over the wall and they would have these protests on the wall. It kind of was like, okay, they're a nuisance and they're dangerous. So we take them seriously, but they're weak and they're, and they're poor and they have no money. They're bankrupt. 
and they're not a threat, right? That was obviously, we now know that was a fake narrative because they were just being very patient. And and my question always is, all right, well, what's next? Which other terror group right now is slowly, quietly, I mean, ISIS. We believe the narrative that ISIS is dead. You don't hear much from al-Qaeda, but maybe it's the same thing. Maybe they just kind of wait. Bin Laden did the same thing. This is their strategies. They're extremely patient, these terrorists. So they build up money. They build up a lot of quiet support. They do a lot of training. And they, you know, they plot. They do all these plots. And, uh, you know, that's their tactic. And they, and they wait to pounce when the time is right. So in that sense, you know, you kind of wonder, well, what else are we missing? And I don't know. That's why I believe it's very, very important to analyze. All right, well, what went on, you know, while Hamas, that allowed Hamas to kind of turn themselves into this massive, massive, dangerous threat? You know, beyond, beyond, it's unthinkable how dangerous they made themselves. New York Times is quoting Udi Levy, former head of Mossad's Economic Warfare Department. And he said the money allowed this attack. He said he was part of a team probing terror finances. It was called Task Force Harpoon, tracked Hamas's money network over a number of years. By 2015, they found Hamas's secret investment portfolio. This is stunning. And at one point, the funds totaled $500 million in 20, in around 2015, around that time. That was, now it's a little bit less. That was worth a ton of money, but that's still a lot for the small terror group. Levy said he personally briefed Prime Minister Netanyahu about Hamas's finances in 2015, but Netanyahu was not interested. Mossad kept tracking the funds, and they did not sanction. They did not shut it down. They were aware, according to this report in the New York Times. So that is pretty interesting. All right, let's get to the election news, uh, or what are we calling it? The race for runner-up. Uh, Trump not only continues to dominate, he is actually surging. in the, his, his poll numbers have gone up just when they said he couldn't possibly go any higher. So a Quinnipiac poll now shows Nikki Haley is rising in the polls. She's going up. Uh, but Ron DeSantis is plunging. So it's very interesting. As DeSantis loses support, some it's getting split. You would think all DeSantis' voters are anti-Trump. They would go to Haley, but it's not true. It's being split between Haley and Trump. So Trump right now is leading, according to Quinnipiac, by about 55 points in the polls. You have two out of every three Republican voters saying they would support uh, Trump, Haley and DeSantis. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, Trump is polling at over 66 percent. This is stunning, according to Quinnipiac. Haley and DeSantis each have 11 percent. But again, the trajectory, you have uh, DeSantis going down, Haley going up. Trump and Haley both got their highest support since Quinnipiac began this poll in February 2023. DeSantis is at his lowest at 11 percent. DeSantis is, has dropped from 36%. Again, you look at the same poll. So that tells you the trend. DeSantis was at 36% in February. Wow, how DeSantis has fallen. Um, he, remember, he was like the rock star. He was going to be like the next Trump. And the, again, it always happens. The more they get exposed, this is not true with all of them. I don't think it's true with Nikki Haley. She's been around for a long time. And DeSantis, his policies in Florida are so conservative. And he has been, he has waged war on the woke left, on the radical left. DeSantis has been, in terms of his policies, he's been phenomenal. But as a candidate, you know, he's been really subpar and mediocre, in my opinion. So that's why his numbers, his numbers reflect that. So down from 36% in February to 11%. And like I said, Haley is up to 11%. Not exactly a major threat here to Trump. Um, and DeSantis and Haley supporters say that they're encouraged. They're encouraged by the polls. Uh, this is astonishing. They're encouraged. Um, they, about half of the vote. Why are they encouraged? Because about half of the people surveyed said they might change their vote before casting a ballot in the primary. Can't make this stuff up. Trump is leading in Quinnipiac's poll by 55% nationally, by, by 55% nationally, 66 to 11. And 
uh, the, you have DeSantis and Haley supporters are encouraged by the fact. I'm just reading you from the story that I read. I don't remember which which outlet it was. Half of the voters said, but we might change our vote. So they're very encouraged by that. Meanwhile, New Hampshire. Now, now Nikki Haley, her strategy has been, and this always happens with the second place candidates, is they always try to make Iowa and New Hampshire their big. This They, they kind of hope that, because they could do this. They could take one state. Nikki Haley right now cannot catch up to Trump nationally, but she could take one or two or three early states and really hit hard there and spend months there. Meanwhile, Trump is busy in court. Oh, amazing how Trump, he's going up in, in the polls and he's busy fighting these court battles everywhere. It's, it's just, it's mind boggling. But either way, Nikki Haley, um, so she's basically making a push in New Hampshire and hoping that then that can have some kind of domino effect. It's rare. Usually when a, when a, when a second place or third place candidate does well in New Hampshire, even if they win, it doesn't really carry over to the other states. I could show you, you know, many examples of this. But in New Hampshire, one poll has Nikki Haley winning, uh, Nikki Haley, I'm sorry, trailing Trump by only four points in New Hampshire, which is close to the margin of error. So, uh, you know, who knows? I mean, she, she is getting close to New Hampshire. And again, I, I, it's over. So like the, the media, they're like grabbing at that and like, like literally like, they're so desperate. They, they grasp at this. Oh, wow. New Hampshire. New Hampshire's almost neck and neck. Nikki Haley has a chance. And if she wins New Hampshire, then South Carolina, and then Florida, then she has chances to win others. She, she's, she was the former governor of South Carolina. So this is it. This is the big chance. This race isn't over. They need this race to not be over. The race is over. But um, her numbers have doubled since September, according to a new poll. Again, you have that one poll that has her uh, trailing Trump by only four points. But then there's another poll and some college survey center. Uh, Nikki Haley has 30% support in New Hampshire, which is 14% uh, behind, 14 points behind Trump, who's at 44%. And Ron DeSantis dropped six points from 11 to just 5%. Chris Christie has 12% in this poll, two-point increase. And Vivek Ramaswamy, Ramaswamy has, I don't know why I do that. There's something in my brain that makes me say Ramaswamy. It's bizarre. But uh, he is in single digits with six points. Meanwhile, Ron DeSantis he has a new website and he says that Nikki Haley, she's not running for president. He says she's running for vice president. He actually, he put up a website called Trump Nikki 2024. This is amazing. And, and he has a point, you know, DeSantis, I guess he's trying to like hurt Nikki Haley or discredit her with this. Um, I don't see what the big deal is. I think DeSantis is also running. If you told DeSantis he could be the runner, you know, the, the Trump's running mate, I think he would jump at the chance. I don't think that Trump is going to choose him. Maybe Trump chooses him. Maybe Trump chooses Nikki Haley. I don't know. Uh, there's an electoral college issue in Florida with Trump and, and Sanders being both from Florida. So there's a technical issue if you wanted to choose DeSantis, but that's for another day. But either way, um, DeSantis has put up a Trump Nikki 2024 website with a series of comments made by Haley and other politicians that shows that she wants to be Trump's VP. I mean, all that shows is she's logical and rational and she's not delusional and living in a in a fantasy world. The website um, plays off of Trump by calling the mock campaign slogan, make the establishment great again, because that's the big argument DeSantis is making is that Nikki Haley is an establishment figure. A lot of people say that, you know, she, um, she I guess she was on the board of Boeing and she's been, you know, working with a bunch of these big corporations and raising a lot of money off of them. They, they you know, people think that kind of she's been bought off by the big corporations. I think they have a point. And Trump, listen. Trump drained the swamp. He tried. You're going to say, well, Trump, he left a lot of the establishment in place. He could have drained the swamp more. Granted. But look, look how much of a threat. Look how threatened they are. Look at all these indictments and these charges against him and everything. I, like they they can't stand Trump because he's a major threat to the Trump, to the swamp. So it's not like, you know, he uh, it's not like he failed at that. You, you, the, the, you could always do more. All right. Let's get to this uh, bombshell new poll 
showing that one in five voters who used mail-in ballots in 2020 cast their votes illegally. You're talking about millions of voters. This poll shows, a Rasmussen poll, shows that one in five voters who used mail-in ballots in 2020, which we kept telling you, we said they are ripe for fraud. Well, this is evidence of massive fraud because they cast their ballots illegally. Um, But remember, if you question the integrity of mail-in ballots, then you're an election denier, right? Climate denier, election denier, these are very, very bad offenses, right? You're evil. So listen, this Rasmussen poll published last week, it asked voters whether they followed the rules during the COVID uh, 2020 election. Okay, here are the key findings. 21% of mail-in voters said they filled out a ballot for a family member or friend. 17% said they voted in a state where they no longer lived. 8% said they were offered a a, a payment for their reward, uh, for, for their vote, a reward for their vote, a payment. So these are all illegal. So uh, 21% of mail-in voters filled out a ballot for a family or friend. 17% uh, voted in a state they did not live in. 8% said they were offered a payment for their reward. Heartland Institute President James Taylor says, if you don't protect the integrity of the election process and every single ballot, the franchise means nothing. We no longer live in a society governed by the will of the people. So think about this. In 2020, there were 68 million mail-in votes. 68 million mail-in votes. The poll says that one in five ballots were technically void for having been completed by a family member or a friend. Okay, that's one in five out of 68 million. That's millions of votes. It's just stunning. These are these numbers are stunning. Again, seventeen. This is not even including. This is just the one in five who filled out a ballot for family member, friend. That's illegal. Okay, whether you say it's right or wrong, it's okay. It's illegal. So their their ballots were literally invalid. That twenty one percent of the mail in ballots were invalid. Seventeen percent of people. They're not even counting this uh, by invalidating. Said they voted in a state they no longer live. That's also invalid. Eight percent said they were offered payment uh, for their vote. I'm not sure if there's an overlap there or not, but either way, it doesn't matter. It's probably some overlap. But either way, at least one in five ballots, if not more, were void, were, were literally not, not valid. They're busy disqualifying Trump from the Colorado race. They, they need to disqualify mail-in ballots. President Biden, right, the vast majority of mail-in ballots, as we know, came were for Biden, were Democrats. Biden's margin of victory combined in the four key battleground states was 81,000. Again, if you count the four battleground states, right, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio, the four key, right, Nevada, Biden's margin of victory was 81,000 votes. Without those 81,000 votes, he loses. Okay, 58% of Biden's voters used mail-in ballots, 32% of Trump's voters. So if you start doing the math here, I mean, this is, I don't know how this doesn't prove that the election was rigged and that uh, that Biden cheated and that the outcome of the election, you know, what, what would not have happened if people had if they had only counted votes legally. I, I just I don't get it. How do you how do you even make a case that the election was fair and that the integrity, the, the, you know, that the election had integrity and, and that the and that the, the results were accurate? All these people, all these Republicans who say, how could Trump question? How dare he question the integrity of our election? How is this not like? you know, almost like irrefutable proof that uh, that the election results were fraudulent. All right. Biden's approval numbers continue to plummet. So I read one headline said, why did Biden? Well, we mentioned this earlier about Biden and Kamala. But one headline says, why do Biden's numbers continue to tank? And I'm saying to myself, like, are you you need an article to explain like that's literally anyone's going to click on that headline. Why do Biden's numbers continue to tank? I mean, my question is, how does he manage to have any support at all? Like, I, I actually think his numbers are high relative to his performance. One Democratic pollster said that Biden is losing ground every month. Well, give that man a medal. Is he aware that the sky is blue? I mean, it's just pretty, pretty funny. 
All right, the state of Texas is being sued because they passed a law. This is unbelievable. Did you hear about this? The state of Texas passed a law allowing police to arrest to arrest illegals. Uh, uh, police are in Texas. How do you need a law for this? I understand federal jurisdiction versus state jurisdiction, but the state of Texas has passed a law allowing Texas police to arrest migrants who cross the border illegally. So they're allowed to arrest people who committed a crime of illegally crossing the border, and now they have a law that, that, that actually gives them that right. And by the way, Texas is under fire. They're being sued. There's literally been a lawsuit filed on behalf of illegals. I wonder who's funding that lawsuit, um, saying that Texas has no right to arrest criminals who crossed the border illegally and thus committed a crime. Oh, I have to mention this. I wanted to mention this earlier. Biden, uh, Joe Biden is considering res- uh, restoring the label of terror group to the Houthi, to the Houthi rebels. And this is so incredibly disgraceful to me. This is so upsetting to me because this shows you how complicit Biden has been and how Biden has enabled and given Iran the power to commit all these terror attacks and the money, the money. Biden's behind. Biden is the is the number one driving force behind Hamas terror attacks and the Iranian terror attacks that are going on all over the world. Because think about this. Biden delabeled. He he removed the label of Houthi of of, of terrorists from the Houthis. Why did he now the Houthis are terrorists? There's no question. And Biden, remember, he considered doing it to the IRGC too. Why? Which is Iran's literally their their personal terrorist group organization, uh, terrorist army. So why did Biden remove the label terrorism from the Houthis? One reason, because negotiations. Remember, they kept trying to get the Iranians back to the negotiating table for the bogus nuclear deal. And the Iranians kept saying, we're not coming back, we're not coming back. So Biden had to keep making all these concessions. So he kept giving them money and unfreezing sanctions. And he kept having to take off the label terrorist groups to Iran's proxies. So they took off the label terrorist group from the Houthis. Now Biden's considering restoring that label. How do you not? Yeah, because they're literally creating total mayhem and chaos in the entire Middle East and carrying out terror attacks and attacking Israeli boats and other boats and shipping vessels and, and, and even just other, uh, you know, uh, international shipping vessels, not just Israeli and not just Americans. So they're causing all sorts of damage and threats. So Biden's considering. He hasn't even done it yet, but this is egregious because why did he take it off? He took it off to appease Iran. Well, what is that? It's not just like, all right, well, now they're labeled a terror group. Now they're not. That actually, that re- that removes sanctions, that, that lifts and alleviates the sanctions. So that allows the Houthis, the Houthis are not allowed to do business and not allowed to make money because of the sanctions when they're a terror group. That creates all sorts of financial issues for them. But by Biden removing that label, he doesn't get flack for this. Nobody talks about this. But that, that, that allowed the Houthis to probably make tens of millions of dollars, if dollars, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. And, uh, and, and, and by, by allevi- by removing the sanctions, by eliminating, lifting the sanctions off of them. So Biden is the reason that the Houthis are causing all this damage to begin with. It's his fault. And we said this at the time. It's not like we're waking up now, Monday morning quarterback. We said this at the time. We said that Biden is allowing Iranian terror groups to take, to remove their labels. He's, he's removing the labels, allowing them to thus make tens of millions, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars that they would not be allowed to make due to sanctions on terror groups. So it's just disgraceful. So anyone who wants to know the reason that all that's going on right now is going on, the answer is President Biden. You can literally, it's a direct direct result of his actions. The man is going to go down in history as the worst president ever, maybe the worst world leader in history, a disaster, a disaster, and, 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 and causing real practical issues as a result, and things that are going to last, repercussions that will last for years to come. That's going to do it for, to end it there on a positive note, that's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.